And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Good afternoon. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm John Mauk, and today we're going to talk with Jerry Newcomb, co-author of the book, Doubting Thomas, The Religious Life and Legacy of Thomas Jefferson. Those words that I read from the Declaration of Independence were penned by Thomas Jefferson. Right now, our nation is in a great battle, and that battle is between whether our law and our nation is founded on God, and God is God over our nation, or whether legal positivism, that's a a sort of technical word, but it's its what's prevailing in our society, the idea that all laws come from man, that God is not the authority, and that we need to interpret our Constitution, our laws, our morals, based on what the society or majority of society says. I'm a partner at Malkin Baker. We're Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Messiah with its legal needs. We do everything from zoning to estate planning, nonprofit administration, religious freedom, and civil litigation. You can learn more about us by going to maukbaker.com, that's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, or call 312-726-1243. Our guest, Jerry Newcomb, co-authored this book, Doubting Thomas, The Religious Life and Legacy of Thomas Jefferson. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you. Uh, Jerry, uh, everybody is debating Thomas Jefferson, and they're quoting him saying uh, he's the founder of our idea of religious liberty and rights coming from God because we're endowed by our Creator. Others are saying, well, he was a Unitarian. He didn't really believe in Jesus. Uh, These Christian values, uh, we're just reading them into the Declaration of Independence. So uh, there's a lot of confusion. Uh, Is is that why you decided to write uh, Doubting Thomas? Yes, yes, we did. And in fact, I think it's important to point out that, first of all, Jefferson serving as a representative of the people of Virginia at the time represented Christian people who held those values. And so even if Jefferson privately uh, didn't believe those things. That would be one thing. But here's an interesting point. Yeah, so he didn't, he, didn't stage, say, he didn't say, <clears throat> I hold these truths to be self-evident. He right, said, right, but he even, said, we hold right. these truths. And I'm, I'm making the point that even if he held uh, different views privately at the time, it still wouldn't matter in terms of what he actually produced. But I think there's strong evidence, and we've tried to make the point in the book, 
that Jefferson went through different phases in his life. And at that time, by all outward appearances, it would seem that he definitely believed in the, the uh, fundamentals of the Christian faith. So, for example, well, well, the next let, year, let, 17... Let, yes, go ahead. Well, okay, 1777. One year later, Jefferson was the leading layman for the establishment of an evangelical church in Charlottesville, Virginia. And he even wrote up the agreement for the adoption of this church. It was called the Calvinistical Reformed Church of Charlottesville. They called an evangelical minister. His name is the Reverend Charles Clay. We put in the book, uh, in, the, in two appendices, two sermons in print by the Reverend Charles Clay and none of his sermons had ever been in print prior to this book. Jefferson later in life had some private doubts about some of the key doctrines of the Christian faith, but at this stage in his life, he definitely, by all outward appearances, was a Christian believer. And even still, he was representing people who definitely believed that our rights come from God, and God-given rights are non-negotiable. Well, yeah, that's that's... That's the key point that we need as 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 listeners, as lawyers, as those engaged in the legal system, uh, to realize that God is the ultimate authority. Uh, the the point I, tr- I tried to make concerning the argument about the Christian faith or orthodoxy of Jefferson, which has been uh, questioned, isn't really relevant to looking at God as an authority because a uh, a sincere Jew, a sincere Unitarian, can believe that God is the source of our rights without having to be a Christian. It helps, and, and Jesus is the true Messiah. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying there are many people who are deists who believe that our rights are God-given. Yeah, I think that would be correct. I think it's also important to point out that in the Declaration of Independence, there are four references to God, not only saying that he's the creator and he is the one, the source of our unalienable rights, but also it says later that we have an appeal, we make an appeal to the supreme judge of the world. Now, as the founders would have understood that, and most of the founding fathers were professing Christians, they understood what Jesus said, that he is the one, is the judge of the world. So, you know, in a sense, you have an indirect reference, not by name, but you have an indirect reference to Jesus Christ right there in the Declaration of Independence. Well, as uh, as a lawyer that is involved in uh, religious freedom litigation, and uh, I, I recently authored the book, uh, Jesus in the Courtroom, How Christians Can yes. en- Engage in in the law, how believers can engage in the law for the good of his world, uh, we're often challenged that the Declaration of Independence isn't the Constitution. Uh, are they at all connected, Jerry? Well, as a matter of fact, they are, in the sense that the Declaration of Independence explains why we exist as a country, and the Constitution then deals with the nuts and bolts of how this country, which is predicated on the Declaration of Independence, is to function. And so even at the end of the Constitution, it says, this is signed in the year of our Lord, meaning Jesus Christ, uh, 1787, and, and the 12th year of Independence. It's referring back 11 years before to the Declaration of Independence. And so even the Constitution references, at least indirectly, the Declaration of Independence. Plus, you know, it's referencing Jesus. 
Well, Justice Thomas, and he's not the doubting one. He's a believer. Yeah. Uh, Cla- uh, Clarence Thomas, the other Thomas, uh, I, I believe has said that we should look to the Declaration of Independence to help us interpret the Constitution because that's part of context. And and any any honest person who wants to understand a statute or a law or teachings of Jesus won't look just at the isolated words, but will look at the isolated words and the context in right. which they were written to get the full meaning. So I yeah, think Tom, exactly. I think Thomas is on strong footing in saying that the Declaration is is part of the part of the context. What's the argument against that? Well, I guess the only argument against it would be if somebody's thinking, well, the Constitution is all that we look to. But let's let's just say, okay, let's suppose for the sake of argument that the Constitution is the only thing we look at. Well, the Constitution does reference Jesus Christ, as I said, in the year of our Lord. You know that about uh, two years later, the French had a godless revolution, 1789, in the French Revolution. A few years after that, they even said, let's get rid of the Christian calendar. No reference to Jesus here. And so they started year one, <laughs> I believe in year 1891, and year two and year three. And Napoleon changed all that back. Uh, they even adopted, by the way, a 10-day week instead of a seven-day week, so they would get rid of any Judeo-Christian reference to a Sabbath I, I, I didn't know or that. Lord's Day. But yeah, I, and I, I, knew, I knew Stalin had done that. He thought he would get uh, more blood out of the, out of the Russian uh, slaves uh, that he'd made. Yeah. And, and by the way, I, it's my understanding that Stalin did that temporarily. He, in other words, he got rid of the Sabbath and then discovered as people were dropping dead early, prematurely, he just stopped it for the sheer practical, you know, utilitarian value that, okay, we're going to get more workers out of the deal if if we allow these people to have a day break once a week. In other words, God knew what he was doing when he created the Sabbath. As Jesus said, the, uh, you know, man wasn't made to benefit the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made, made to benefit man. By the way, the Constitution also says that, you know, when certain bills are passed, the president has X number of days, Sundays accepted in order to sign these bills or reject them. The Sundays accepted, you know, it's reference to, uh, again, our Judeo-Christian heritage. And so I think it's important to understand all these things. And uh, so I think we're in a situation where godless people today are just assuming, they're, they're almost reading into some of the founding fathers, some of their own godless beliefs, and they don't realize the vast majority of the, of the founding fathers were, number one, they were members of churches, they were members of uh, well, Trinitarian I, I, churches, Yeah, I think they, do. they knew the Bible. I think, I think there is a realization of it, it's just, in many cases, it's a rebellion against it. The, the question yeah. I, I ask is, do you really want to know the truth? And, yeah. and there, there's two groups of people out there who are, who are not, not believers. There, there are people who don't want to know the truth. They don't want to know the light. They're going to distort. They're going to lie uh, because they have a different goal. And then there's people who don't believe in Jesus. They haven't heard of Jesus, or maybe they don't understand Jesus, but they do want to know the truth. And it's to those people that we're talking and uh, trying to persuade the uh, the others uh, I hope they'll I hope they'll come come around but when we come back we're going to talk more about why Thomas Jefferson's 
opinions and letters and writings matter to us today. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm John Mauk, partner of the law firm of Mauk & Baker. We're Christian attorneys located in downtown Chicago. Today, we're continuing our talk with Jerry Newcomb, co-author of Doubting Thomas, The Religious Life and Legacy of Thomas Jefferson. Jerry, how would you explain the importance of Jefferson's opinions to somebody who was in eighth grade? What would be the two or three things that you would tell them that matter most? Because everybody's writing books about Thomas Jefferson. I think you you listed probably 20 different biographies. Uh, So it obviously matters to a lot of people, but why should it matter to us today? Well, Jefferson decided what he would have on his own tombstone. And rather than list out the fact that he was the third president of the United States, here are the three things he listed. One, he wrote the Declaration of Independence, which was our national birth certificate. That's very significant. Uh, two, he wrote something called the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom, and I'd be happy to comment on that and why that's significant. It's viewed as a forerunner to our uh, First Amendment with its rights for guaranteed of, you know, of religious freedom. And then the third thing is that he established the University of Virginia, which, of course, is in Charlottesville, and sometimes it's viewed as if it was the first secular school. That is not accurate. It would be far more clear or or accurate to say it was the first non-sectarian school. Prior to that, Harvard, for example, was a congregational school. William and Mary was specifically tied to the Church of England. They were all tied to some specific uh, denomination, just as Princeton, for example, was, was founded by Presbyterian elders. But the University of Virginia at Charlottesville was to allow for religious freedom and all kinds of different denominations, um, including the Jewish faith, could be represented there at the school. And so some people sometimes say, oh, it was the first secular school. No, it was the first non-sectarian school. And I think there's a big difference. I I, I find that amazing and, and humble that a man could be president of the United States and wouldn't wouldn't uh, count that as one of his uh, primary <laughs> accomplishments. Yeah. Uh, that's right. That's certainly where we think of Jefferson uh, uh, first and first and foremost. But uh, right, and and in fact, uh, going back to this, uh, the second thing that he listed there, the the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom. He wrote that in 1777, and it was adopted in 1786 when he was in France. It was uh, pushed through by his friend and colleague and lifelong buddy, uh, James Madison. Is this before or after the Declaration of Independence? Uh, He wrote it a year after the Declaration of Independence. He writes the Declaration of Independence and, and let me just let me go on to quote from that just just a bit, and then sure. and then take us back to 1777. Uh, mm-hmm. After he says our rights are, endow- are endowed by our Creator, he then says that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government of the governed. So mm-hmm. he starts with God, and then he says man has a duty. So what? Uh, what's the duty then in 1777? 
Well, in 1777, he's basically saying that Almighty God has created the mind free, and all attempts to force people to believe or to behave in certain ways as far as religion is concerned are a, quote-unquote, departure from the holy author of our religion. And here he's talking about Jesus Christ, clearly, who being Lord both of body and mind chose reason to propagate belief in him and not coercion, as was in his almighty power to do. In other words, what Jefferson was saying was that Jesus Christ allows us to have the freedom to believe in him or not believe in him. He himself doesn't force us one way or the other, who is the government to force people in terms of what they believe? And so he argued that Jesus is the reason that we should have religious freedom. And this is kind of a forerunner, if you will, to the First Amendment, which says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And we're at a state, John, where uh, sometimes some of the atheists and so forth are trying to impose upon us, if you will, almost a secular standard of, uh, you know, of government. So, for example, just in the last few months, a couple of nominees from this president uh, that have appeared before the Senate, a couple of senators have raked them over the coals over their views on Christian doctrine. You know, you're not fit to serve in this government because you're not mainstream enough because I don't like your views. Yeah, and it, they're yes, imposing you're orthodox a, a religious ca- test. Orthodox Catholic, I think, was the phrase that was used uh, concerning yeah. uh, Miss Barrett. Right. And, and, and the other one was a Wheaton grad, and Wheaton is in your, uh, your uh, listening area, and I, I myself met my wife-to-be at Wheaton grad school and hold it and, you know, hold my M.A. there in great, great esteem. But the bottom line is that uh, our founders did not want to have this kind of religious test. Now it's turned around where basically religious people need not apply to serve in the government. That's ridiculous. That's, uh, that's un-American, quite frankly. It's certainly unconstitutional. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm John Malk of Malk and Baker, and we're speaking with Jerry Newcomb about his book, Doubting Thomas, The Religious Life and Legacy of Thomas Jefferson. So how do we, as believers today, protect our rights and the foundation? How do we protect the, uh, the foundation of our nation, which is faith in God and that God is the source of our, of our, of our laws and our morals? Well, I think, first of all, I commend you and all your colleagues uh, that are lawyers for Christ, because I think in many ways you all are on the front lines of, of so much of this this culture war. All these different cases, you know, the Alliance Defending Freedom, which was founded by my pastor and mentor and, and even co-author of some other books, the late Dr. D. James Kennedy. Uh, I think what you're doing, though, in fighting in the courts, uh, the legal courts and then in the courts of public opinion is so critical in this time. And uh, we have certainly lost a lot of of rights and liberties and so forth, but I think the foundation is still there. I mean, if the facts speak for themselves when you actually look back and you, you look at what the founders actually said. And when you're, ta- How about, when you're yeah, t- talking facts, I mean, we're talking truth. And yeah. to put it on the metaphysical level... Uh, truth is one of the weapons of our warfare. Uh, Paul describes our battle as asymmetrical. We do not fight 
the way the world fights, but the weapons of our warfare are mighty for bringing down strongholds. We need to realize that there are uh, intellectual and spiritual struggles that involve truth, but there are other unseen forces that we're fighting against. Yes, that's very, very true. And it's interesting, when we looked at the the life and legacy of Thomas Jefferson, we saw a man that uh, went through different phases of his life and later in life actually entertained some some serious doubts about some key Christian doctrines. And, and, uh, you know, we bring that out in the book. And then later, at, at the last phase of his life, when an Episcopal church was reopened in the city of Charlottesville, he attended regularly for the last five years of his life. And, um, you know, whatever private doubts he may have entertained, he kept those basically to himself or kept those, you know, only in, in private letters. It's interesting, too, we have a whole chapter in the, in the book about the so-called Jefferson Bible. What most people don't realize, essentially what that was, it was the sayings of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. He made two versions of it. The first one was after the Louisiana Purchase, and there were many more Indian tribes added to the United States of America. He said, hey, it's good to introduce the Indians to the teachings of Jesus, but let's not confuse them with all the the theological, Christological, Trinitarian, I'm, I'm using my words, not his, but all those theological arguments and all the metaphysical stuff. Let's just deal with the, the teachings of Jesus. And by the way, some of those teachings include some of the miracles, so it wasn't like he was editing out miracles or something like that. And so that was the first version. The second version of the so-called Jefferson Bible was also the teachings of Jesus, but not only in English, but in other languages as well, including Greek. So he could study the the, the teachings and, you know, the beauty of Jesus' uh, teachings and things like uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, because he said there's no teaching greater than this that's ever been uttered, you know, by a man and never will be. Well, I, 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 for one, am not uncomfortable with having one of the heroes of our Constitution and founding be a man who's flawed, because yeah. that's where we all are, and having doubts is okay. It's part of faith. If there were no ability to doubt, there'd be no ability to have faith, uh, and God made us to ask questions, and in, in Acts it says uh, God created us so that we might seek Him. Well, when you seek, that's something you don't already know. So you have you have doubts, and you're going after them. So that's a wonderful picture of Thomas Jefferson. We appreciate Jerry, you're coming in today. Uh, how can our listeners find your book, uh, Doubting Thomas? Sure. Uh, thank you. DoubtingThomasBook.com. Hallelujah. Go check it out. If you have a legal need or a question and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Malkin Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243. I'll repeat that. 312-726-1243 or go to MalkBaker.com. M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. You can listen to our radio shows on iTunes or podcasts, and you can hear this show again if you want to hear more about Thomas Jefferson. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Don't
have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody. 